Welcome to Lattice Training Talk. Today we've got a really interesting subject matter. We're going to be looking at the top five habits of professional climbers, and these are habits that you can use at home. Now, if there's one thing that me and Ollie like doing more than anything else is we love observing and analysing really amazing climbers. And over decades worth of experience and coaching that we both of us have done, we've tried to pick up on these habits and things that people typically do which allows them to access the very top levels of performance. So we're gonna have a little bit of a, a deep dive into each subject area and things that we think are the most important in terms of affecting performance. And being honest, we've been able to talk to a lot of these professional climbers, but yes, it makes a difference to our coaching, but realistically, we just wanna know ourselves because we find this really, really useful. We try and copy these habits, see if they work, and these top five that we've chosen have been something that we've seen across the board and it seems to work with our clients and in our own climbing so it's really useful to take them on board and try and put them into practice. Okay so first one is I think across the very best climbers top performers across the world is you see a huge degree of consistency in training and performance across the years so what I mean by that is that they're not just a function of one, two, three years of very, very high levels. They've built a gigantic pyramid of experience, training and performance. If you look at a lot of the best climbers in the world, Adam Ondra, Alex Magos, and you look about how they've progressed throughout the grades as junior athletes all the way to adults, there's always consistent progression and always a lot of volume behind them. So they're constantly pushing year in, year out, consistency all the way. I'd say also in, in you know, addition to that is it's, it's really easy when you see these people making headlines when they eventually hit into the big grades and you know, we're reading news websites and things like that and go, this person's just a function of the last couple of years because that's when you hear them talked about. But they've been doing this for years and years, decades plodding through those grades i mean it sounds plodding because they do really high grades but no it has been really consistent moving up grade by grade year by year so how are you going to be able to put this into practice let's look at the other way around so what is inconsistent and this is what we see in a lot of climbers that have peaks and troughs and they don't seem to gradually improve so when you're not being consistent you're changing your training habits frequently you're not progressing in the same tra training habits on a regular basis. So because you're trying one training stimulus and changing it up, you don't gradually improve at the same way all the time. That progression means that you can improve. And thirdly, you're always switching up your goals. So you'll be looking to train one area and you just focus on one area and then you move to a different area and train on that. Consistency is about doing the same thing across the board all the way through, year on, year out. The exercises can be varied. But in terms of the stimulus and the progression, it's got to be consistent. Another part or element to consistency is how it relates to injury. And people always think about it as consistency of work put in. But consistent work can always only ever be achieved if you're not getting injured. And if we look at a lot of the best performers and top athletes across the world of climbing, is their history is filled with relatively small amounts of training period lost during to injury. It's not to say that the top performers don't get injured, it's that they find ways around it and they don't take big periods of time out from that. 
I think a good example when we interviewed Magnus Mitbo uh, several months ago was the fact that mm. he said he never had an injury. He had a little, a few issues with his elbow, but he was always one of these people that was very lucky not to get injured. And he said that he wasn't the most talented climber, but he had to work quite hard for it. And not getting injured meant that he could keep working hard all of the time and keep up with that top level in the world. Okay, top habit number two. These very best climbers seem to access the top couple of percentage points in terms of intensity or effort in their training sessions really frequently. So they're very good at getting into that last bit of zone of effort or intensity when they're climbing. Have you ever fallen off the wall or during a training set and you think whilst you're climbing, you're going, oh, I'm absolutely at my limit, I'm at my limit, and then you fall off. And within a couple of seconds, you're already starting to think, did I really give it my all? Could I have done anything else? Can I actually get back on the wall now and try and do a couple of moves? That's the kind of example of those top end climbers that can access that top percent, they land on their backs and that's everything. There's never a question of, could I have tried a little bit harder? Mm, yeah, very much so. And in my experience, I've found that part of it's down to mindset and how you approach climbing. And the real kind of watershed moment for me was when I was climbing with my regular training partner, Pete Whitaker, and I'd been climbing with him for a few years. And I was really aware that in basic strength levels, I was a very, very similar climber to him. But when I was going out and trying projects, he seemed to always get up things either faster than me or complete projects that I would be quite close to, but never quite get up. And I made this realization one day that he was just that little bit extra better at accessing the last one or 2% in effort. And I had this climbing experience where I went up and got on the rope again and went, I am going to go all out 100%. I'm going to commit to this just like I think Pete has. And suddenly I found myself at the top of this route and really from that day, I kind of just put my head into a different place and changed my mindset that yes, that last percentage point is possible to access, but in all honesty, it's not easy and it's maybe not always that pleasant, but it is doable. We get asked this question quite a lot of, I don't think I can try that hard. All my friends say that I fall off before I'm at my absolute limit. How can I improve at that? So a couple of good ways of doing this is trying to put yourself in that position on a regular basis when you're mentally fresh and for a short period of time. Don't try and every session think, oh, I need to work on my best, work on my best, because it's too hard of a stimulus to begin with. Start off small and build up gradually. The other side is not to spend too much time on nice moderate terrain and avoid trying at your absolute limit. We see this with people that are root setters or those that go around the wall and climb lots and lots of volume all the time, and they're not used to trying really, really hard for short periods of time. So it's all a matter of make sure that you apply a little bit of time each session or a couple of times a week, whenever you're training, to try your absolute limit. Okay, so next habit that we think is really important and determinant of those top performance fact or top performance uh, levels is the desire to to learn and to adapt. And what I mean by this is that it's a common feature in the very best climbers that they really have this intense need and want to learn. And it's very obvious as soon as you start to hang around with them and see how they approach problems. And in that process of learning, they're also really good at adapting. 
This is a really interesting concept and it's been seen loads more in talent ID for juniors and for loads of different sports. And it's that ability to acknowledge something that you're weak at or that you could be better at compared to other athletes around you and then think, how can I improve at that? What can I do that they're doing that I'm not doing? And that sort of observation and learning and then trying to adapt to improve in that area makes a massive difference in the long run. So if you see someone who's constantly staying in their comfort zone, you see this a lot on people that climb on boards, whether it's a moon board or a campus board, and they tend to stay where they feel comfortable, that's someone who potentially isn't willing to learn and progress in other areas of their climbing. Those people that are constantly trying different stimulus all the time means they're going to be adapting to many different types of stimulus and they're going to be learning to be a much better climber in the long run. Yeah, a classic example of this was that I was climbing out in Spain with one of the top international competition climbers called Hannes Puman. And he was in a slab climbing area. And I remember the first day climbing together on some slabs. And he clearly felt quite uncomfortable with the difficulty of this climbing. It wasn't his strongest style. And, you know, he was climbing Fonte 8 a 8A+, 8B, 8B+, on the steep terrain, but definitely wasn't at that level on slabs. And I really kind of noticed how when he had his first few attempts on a relatively low graded slab and didn't do so well initially, he didn't seem to get dejected or find it a problem. He actually found it really fascinating. And you could see he's kind of switched into this extra gear where he went, oh, wow, huh, I fell off. What am I going to change? What am I going to learn from this? I'm going to do better and I'm absolutely going to commit to improving on this style. And I watch him over a period of days on this type of kind of rock climbing that was not his very biggest strength, massively up his game and improve through the grades really quickly because he had such a willingness to learn and adapt. And I think that translates to any aspect of life. So if you can start practicing that on a regular basis, regardless of what you're doing, it will translate better to your climbing. Okay, habit number four, just one word, commitment. Commitment is one of those big, big factors which will affect anyone in almost any area of their life. It's not just climbing, it can be other sports and it can be your work and it can be your relationships. And the most achieving, successful and long-term productive athletes that I know as friends or that I work with are unbelievably committed individuals. And when they start something and they decide that it's worth it, they nearly always finish that thing. And let's be clear here, commitment is very, very different to uh, mood, motivation and goals. So your motivation of a committed person can still be at the absolute uh, bottom. So you can feel absolutely terrible, you can feel demotivated, but that doesn't change the person's commitment to the overall goal. So looking at whether your goal is something that's massive or short, if your motivation is going up and down, as long as you stay committed to the path and you're still going to work hard, that makes the biggest difference, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And a big defining characteristic of commitment is that when you see someone who's truly committed, they don't have a problem with the ups and downs and the setbacks because because they have made this decision to commit to the end goal and where they're going. They'll just go, okay, that's okay. I had a bad day today. 
I had a bad week, but I'm still committed to my goal, to my cause, and I'm going to dust myself off, I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to put the quality and the effort in tomorrow, next week again, and I'm going to stay committed to that path. And I see that time and time again across all age groups, across all specialisations. So for me personally, in terms of trying to help this commitment and something that I would advise in in other people is talking to the people that are closest around you and sort of telling them about what you're trying to commit to achieving and having their support throughout. And that also kind of gives you that little bit of push that means that you feel like you're able to actually apply yourself better and stay on the long course. And it might give you that little bit of push in those moments of low motivation towards the long-term goal. Tom, I think you use the term letting it brew with your goals in terms of how to commit. And that's yeah. always something that I think is quite interesting. Yeah, so I use this term, uh, which I say, I, I want to let something brew. And the thing that I, I'm trying to get across in this concept is that when you decide to commit to a, a goal, is that you don't need to commit the moment you have the idea. I've had these goals that I've either achieved or I'm still working to over the years where I've had this thought about something that I want to do and I will let this brew in my mind for sometimes actually years until the point where I feel like it's crossed the threshold and I'm so committed internally in my mind to that process that then when I externalise it to my friends, my family or people that know me, there's no question whatsoever that I'll ever deviate from that path. So I'm very, very careful to let that commitment process brew until the point where it feels right I know I'm not going to deviate and it almost becomes easy to complete on it and a little bit of a word of warning about committing to a goal and becoming more committed to sort of the cause you're working towards and as much as we like the idea of social pressure and getting other people to sort of chip in and feel that you need to do it because you've told other people doing it on a large scale using social media Please be careful before you start doing that because it provides a lot of pressure that sometimes can push you over the edge. Or in the other case, it gives you the same satisfaction as having done the, uh, the goal itself and research supports this so you don't feel as committed to achieving it because you're already gained some of the satisfaction already. So it's good to tell your close friends and family and get that close support. But if you're going to release it to the wider audience, please have a big think about it first and maybe let it brew before you start doing that. Yeah, good point, Ollie. Okay, so last one is within those habits that we see classically within the top performers is that they're often very, very good at dealing with setbacks. And setbacks are those things that occur on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, and often on a yearly basis as well. Days where you're not having a very good session, injuries or things that mean that they get right in the way of your goals and they may or may not be in your control but they're definitely problems. You can see some really good examples of this in media at the moment with other climbers. Uh, Climbers such as Shauna Coxie and Hazel Finley have both gone through injuries in recent times and they've come back and they've got over these setbacks and they've started working towards their original goals still staying committed to them and they've dealt with it in their own way and they've actually worked through it and become better climbers in the long run. So dealing with these setbacks is a massive difference to your long-term development. 
Yeah, I've, I've also learned that from hanging around with climbers at the top end is that they tend to frame setbacks in a different way from the rest of the population. So rather than sitting a setback right on that plate of, this is a huge problem, I can't deal with it, I'm getting stressed, I'm getting anxious, I don't know what to do. They tend to sit it on this plate where they say, actually, potentially this could be an opportunity. It could be something, I could work on something different. Maybe I could change the way in which I climb. And maybe I can actually be a better climber in the long run than I would have been even if I hadn't had this setback. So they're really good at reframing those setbacks and those problems that occur. So that's five habits. And I know there's loads and loads of articles out there that give you a couple of examples of habits and tips that can be used in different sports or different activities. And it's very easy to read them or listen to them and just go away without actually utilizing them. So one thing that I think is a really good exercise to do, and we do get a lot of our juniors and athletes to do this, is to think about these sort of five habits that you want to improve on or that you could adopt and try and write them down and apply them to yourself whether that's putting down your goals, putting down what kind of commitment you're going to do, what kind of setbacks you might come across and how you're going to deal with it, and then also thinking about how you're going to stay consistent. So writing it down, individualized to yourself, is going to make a massive difference to actually utilizing this information rather than just going on to the next YouTube video. So I hope you've enjoyed today's video and you found it useful. If you've enjoyed it, please click to like and subscribe and check out our YouTube, Instagram and Facebook pages to give us more feedback and look out for more in this video series.